Welcome to the Well Community Jokes. And tonight we're uh, continuing on with our fifth installment of our series, Gospel Fluency. And what we mean by gospel fluency is just allowing God's gr- gift of grace to inform every part of our lives. So two weeks ago, just before our potluck that we had last weekend for the long weekend, we spoke about thinking gospel thoughts. And tonight, I want to continue on that theme with speaking gospel truths, or allowing the gospel to influence our speech. You see, the Bible tells us not only to think about the gospel, but also to speak about the gospel. And I believe the reason why is because just thinking about something doesn't drive the truth of it deep enough into our hearts. We need to speak the truth of the gospel and not just think about it. For example, Remembrance Day. We celebrate it every year in November. And notice how we don't just think about the sacrifice that was made for us. We also allow our remembrance to express itself through speech. We talk about those who made the ultimate sacrifice. We pray for those who've lost loved ones. And we still allow for a time of silence so people can reflect and meditate and think about the freedoms we enjoy and the price that was paid. But that's not all. We talk about it. Now, you might ask why. Why why do we do both? Why do we think and speak about the price of freedom on Remembrance Day? Well, I suggest it's because talking about something true has the wonderful effect of driving the understanding of it deeper into our hearts and minds. If all we do is think about what was done for us and the terrible price of war, the truth doesn't sink in as much as it needs to. But if we talk about it, if we speak about the price of freedom, the importance of working for peace and praying for peace begins to soak in. I don't know if you've ever had the experience of teaching a a kid's Sunday school class. That will make you feel like you know nothing quickly. My word. It, uh, you, you go in and you think you know all these Bible stories like the back of your hand, and you're like, okay, I've got this. And within a few minutes, these kids are like, why? What's that? Who's this? Why'd they come here? And you're like, the story that I thought I knew so well up here takes on this whole different expression when you actually have to begin speaking about it. You have to own it. You have to understand it. And kids help you do that quickly. The same thing applies to the gospel of grace. If, if all we do is just think about the gospel of grace, we'll never actually become gospel fluent. Because gospel fluency, understanding and applying the gospel of grace to your everyday life situations, requires us not just to think about the gospel, as we talked about two weeks ago, but to also speak the gospel every day. So tonight, I want to explore how we can do this. So let's turn to the best resource we have in order to explore truth, which is the Bible. And tonight's uh, passage is going to be coming from Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. So if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, feel free to flip there and follow along, or as always, follow along on the screen behind me. But it's Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. 
Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. So I want to go back and I want us to work through this passage. And Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus and he gives us the job description of church leadership. He writes, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for work and service so that the body of Christ may be built up. He says that the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers are gifts to the church, but not to do the works for the church, but to equip God's people to minister to one another, to be the church. So what does this one another ministry accomplish? It says that we will build one another up into maturity. And here's what maturity looks like in verse 13. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So what does it look like? I believe there's four things in this passage. First, maturity here looks like unity. Not uniformity. We don't all have to agree on every little thing. But unity. We love one another and we want the best for one another. Second, maturity also looks like the greater understanding. Paul speaks about knowledge. So we understand the gospel of grace. We understand how that grace applies to every part of our lives. And third, maturity also looks like character transformation. Our love for Jesus and his love for us transforms who we are, our character. And over time, we become more and more like him. I recently heard a pastor, it was through Facebook, it was actually just Bruxy Cavey down at the meeting house. He, was, he asked the simple question in this clip, and he said, why do we follow Jesus? And he said, the answer's not hard. We follow Jesus to be with Jesus, to be where Jesus is. And I just loved the simplicity of that. And as we, we lean in to Jesus, as we follow Jesus and we're with Jesus, our character will transform. And here's the fourth and final thing. Maturity also looks like discernment. Paul writes, then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. The good news here is that while everybody in the local church is tuned into this type of gospel fluency, and building others up into maturity, we don't have to worry about people, our friends, our family, our kids, walking away from the truth. We're building one another up into maturity. And let's face it, we live in this day and age where there's some pretty bad teaching all around us. It's everywhere you look, on the TV, on the internet, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, and we've gotta be careful. I know it first began concerning me as a youth pastor when, when some of these posts on social media especially get thousands and upon thousands of likes and suddenly these ideas or values that are being expressed 
must be true because they have so many likes. But that's not always the case. We need to, we need to grow in our discernment. Even, even Christian bookstores, sometimes they have some pretty bad books on their shelves. And we need to be able to learn how to navigate that and grow in our maturity. But we also live in a time where some of the best teaching is available with just a click. But so is some of the worst teaching. So how do we deal with this? Do we come up with suggestions for people who you can read and watch or not read and watch or go through kind of a list of people, pastors, books? Absolutely not. That sounds just exhausting to even have to think through. And frankly, it doesn't work. It's been tried time and time again, and it boils down to legalism. What we need to do is grow in our maturity and become more like Christ, to build one another up. So I suggest that the best solution to this problem is to mobilize the church to build one another up. Because the more mature we are as Christians, the less gullible we're going to be. I believe I've shared this before, but I've had several school experiences over the years. And my first encounter with a Bible college I went to, it was more of a fundamental school. And they taught us or told us what it is to believe, what it is that they believe, and how to defend it. But then I had this experience with a Christian liberal arts school where they didn't just tell us what to believe and how to defend it. They gave us the tools to be able to discern what it is to believe. And for me, that just that helped me own it. Because it wasn't just this thing I was believing because my parents told me or a school was telling me or a pastor was telling me. It was because I was given the tools to be able to actually go in and say, what does this mean? What's truth? And that's my desire here at the well, too, is... I don't want it just to be, well, Pastor Kevin says this, so this is ultimate truth, or that I want us to be able to have the tools and the maturity that as we build one another up in Christ, that together we discern the voice of the Holy Spirit, where Jesus is and what his word is saying. So this passage definitely makes clear that the leaders of a local church are wise when they resist the urge to do the ministry for people, but rather focus their efforts on equipping Christians to build one another up into maturity. And I love that. It's this coming together. It's this communal aspect. In fact, a pastor friend of mine was telling me recently that she used to fall into the trap of saying, oh man, my church isn't good at evangelism, or my church, just they're not good tithers, or my church, and she realized that, you know what, it's not about my church, but it's about my leadership to equip. So what she did to change that was she changed just her language around that and said, if my church isn't good at something, then she says, I haven't yet led my church to become good evangelists. I haven't led my church. And taking on that onus that she's called to equip the body of Christ. And I love that. And I believe this is what Paul's saying here in Ephesians as well. He's calling the church leaders to lead and to equip the church toward maturity. 
And the maturity looks like unity, understanding, character, discernment. So staying immature as a Christian is always going to be a problem. And if, if you've been a Christian for several years and you're no more mature than when you first began following Jesus, you have to ask yourself the question, why? Because it's normative for followers of Jesus to grow. And as we follow Jesus and spend time with Jesus, we'll naturally grow and become like him, just like we do with our friends. With, with Amanda, um, she has this way about her that when she's on the phone with a specific friend after she hangs up, usually within 99% accuracy, I can guess who she's been on the phone with. I'm like, oh, you've been talking to Tiffany or you've been talking to Kayla. And, and because she, she picks up their, their vocal intonations and, and just if she's speaking slower or faster or hyper, and I'm like, I'm able to see it. But what I love about that is that's also how we should be in our relationship with Christ. As we're spending time with him, it just, it just naturally comes out that we're more and more like Christ. But what we need to know now is how. How do we minister to one another in a way that builds each other up into maturity? So Paul answers this question in the next verse. I believe this is key. He writes, Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ. Paul tells us that there's something essential that we have to do if we're going to build up one another. Paul says that there's something we all need to be equipped to do if we're going to grow one another into maturity. And what is it? We have to learn how to speak the truth in love. The Bible indicates here that as we speak the truth to one another in love, we create a greenhouse for people to grow. But just before we get into what it means to speak the truth in love, I want to make a quick observation in the text here that I hope's pretty obvious to you as well. That looking at these verses so far, there isn't any indication that we can grow into maturity without the help of our brothers and sisters, without the help of other Christians. We're not meant to do life alone. We need one another. And this is what I love most about gathering on Saturdays. Or it's getting together and doing life together. Part of our vision to connect, grow, give, go, to connect with one another so that we can connect with God and grow together. So one of the most important things we all need to admit if we're going to grow into maturity is this. We have to gather together regularly so we can build each other up. So I want to just encourage you to keep attending worship weekly, to join a small group when you can and when it's offered. I know we have men and women alternating right now. And frankly, most of you are already part of it, and it's amazing. And I can't wait for myself to get back in to another guy's study soon. But just the ministry teams, the small groups, everything coming together just helps iron sharpen iron. Because biblically speaking, there's just no possible way, I believe, that we can grow into maturity alone. So getting back here to Paul's observation, that we build one another up into maturity by speaking the truth of love, we have to ask, what does this mean? How do we speak the truth in love? And I've heard people use this text, and it's actually been used on me several times, that uh, we need to have unfiltered, 
brutal honesty. And uh, one example was, hey, bro, that was a brutal sermon you preached there. Just speaking the truth in love. And don't worry, it was no one here <laughs> so far. But, uh, or dude, you have some really bad breath there. Just speaking the truth in love. Now, there is a way to share those things. I think bad breath can be an important one sometimes, but uh, maybe just offer the stick of gum. Or one, this one I was personally told, you do not look good in red. Love ya. <laughs> Thanks. So if you see me in red, you will be uh, surprised. Uh, look, I'm all for honesty, but I'm not for unfiltered brutality wrapped up in this veneer of love ya. That's not speaking the truth in love. So what does Paul mean when he says speak the truth in love? He's asking us, or he's not asking us to just unload whatever we think all the time, as long as we add on the love ya. That just sounds Christianese for being a jerk. But what truth Paul is speaking about here isn't about me, my opinion, how I feel, what I think should be done. Let me suggest that we should, as, as we look for what Paul's talking about here, we should always look first to the immediate context of a biblical passage to interpret what it does mean. So to do this, we have to keep reading Ephesians 4, where Paul explains what kind of truth we're supposed to speak to one another about to build each other up into maturity. So it's actually in verses 17 to 21. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Paul's gone back to explaining what a lack of maturity looks like. And he continues, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Next verse, having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. So again, those are some things for us to avoid. Bad thinking that leads to sinful behavior. Finally, Paul turns the corner on this and says, that, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. So now when we think back to verse 15, where Paul told us to speak the truth in love, what kind of truth should we be speaking? Not the truth about me and my preferences and what bugs me. That's not what builds the church up. That's not what builds people up. Verse 21 says that the truth about Jesus, that we need to speak to one another, is that we need to speak the gospel one another because the truth of Jesus is wrapped up in the gospel the good news that Jesus is Lord that Jesus is King so if we look at the four questions we've been asking each week that help us remember and apply the gospel to every life situation the first question is who's God the truth about Jesus tells us that God is a loving and forgiving God who allowed all of our sins to fall on Jesus when he died on the cross and second question what has God done the truth about Jesus is wrapped up in the gospel that says our sins were forgiven as a free gift of grace, not because of any work that we did, but because of his mercy. Third, who are we in light of what God has done? God called us into his family, called us his dearly loved children, 
and gave us the power to receive this free gift by grace. And last, what should we do in light of who we are? Live by faith. From the moment we believed and received Jesus as our Savior and our Lord, we were given the, the right to call ourselves the children of God. This is the gospel. This is the truth about Jesus and how it applies and informs every aspect of our lives. So a quick recap is that everyone should be equipped to minister to one another, build one another up. And how do we do that? Well, first we have to show up. We have to rub shoulders with other Christians. But there's more to it than that. We have to open our mouths and actually begin to say something. It doesn't just happen because we show up. We eventually have to interact. And when we open our mouths, what do we speak? Hopefully, we're speaking the truth. And what truth? Not just the truth about me, but we speak the truth about Jesus. We speak the gospel. And I then ask, how do we speak it? I suggest gently, graciously, and with the love of God beating in our hearts. Because if we want to grow into maturity in Christ, if we want to grow someone into maturity in Christ, we have to speak the truth about Jesus to them. We have to speak the gospel. And this is how we create that greenhouse that grows mature Christians. This is part of our vision at the well to connect, to grow, and give and go. So now, you might be wondering though, don't we just preach the gospel to those who are unsaved? And the answer is no, absolutely not. Because the reality is that Christians constantly need to have the gospel preached to them. And I need the gospel preached to me. Two weeks ago, when I shared the message, Thinking Gospel Thoughts, I'll admit that that has been the hardest night I've probably had since starting the church plant here and when God called me. My thoughts have been under attack, and I sat on the couch that whole night asking Amanda for reassurance, and she's like, just pull out your message and read it again. I'm like, I can't do it. I needed her to speak the gospel to me. I needed her to help remind me. And that's what we all need, is to speak the gospel to one another. Those of us who believe in Jesus need constant reminders that the gospel is true, that we're loved by God, that our sins are forgiven by grace through faith. We need to constantly remind one another that we're not made valuable by what we do, but by what Christ has done for us. We need to be constantly reminded that we don't work ourselves into significance, but we actually work out of our significance because we didn't earn our place in the family of God. We received it as a free gift. So we don't preach the gospel to people before they come to Jesus and then just stop preaching it. That doesn't grow mature Christians because let's face it, we, we need more than just good advice and proper practices and upright morals if we want to grow to be like Jesus, we actually need Jesus to become more like Jesus. And so we have to make Jesus the entire point of our lives. This means we'll constantly point one another toward Jesus and his gospel of grace. And we follow Jesus in order to be where Jesus is. So again, I want to just give you a couple examples on how I think we can do this. They're not perfect examples by any means, and each context is going to be totally different. 
But first and foremost, the good news needs to be shared in a way that's actually good news for people's pain and suffering. So what do I mean? Let me explain. Let's say your friend is struggling with financial management or debt. Our, our tendency is to instantly think of a great program or workshop, the Dave Ramsey um, financial peace course that he offers, or this or that Christian course. And there's nothing wrong with that, but if we start at that position, it's likely that we're not going to get very far. Because let's face it, when someone's swallowed up in debt, there's a root problem. There's a real problem underneath, and it's usually because they believed in the lie that material stuff satisfies the deepest longing of our soul. In fact, the very first message that we preached here on this series was everybody's an unbeliever. And we talked about how we all struggle with different lies and different areas of unbelief in our lives. Now, this isn't always the case. Accidents do happen. But pretty often, when people have more debt than they can handle, there's been this role reversal. And an idol's been created and made. And so what you have is not just this lack of understanding, not just this need to manage and steward money, but you have a worship problem. I struggle with this myself. I want the latest and greatest, and it's hard when... Your idols are competing, or if anything's competing for the attention of Jesus. But your friend is worshiping material things. It's become an idol. It's become more important to them than God. And so this is where we can bring the good news of Jesus into this situation. So how do you preach the gospel in this situation? You say the, the problem with worshiping anything other than Jesus is when you lose it, You've not lost something that's important to you. you. You've lost something that you've actually made an essential in your life. The problem with losing an idol is that you're not just disappointed, you're, you're devastated. The problem with worshiping material things is that it's not going to ever satisfy. The problem is you just need more and more to keep satisfying that longing, that ache, now, of course, you need to gauge how to bring this up with your friend and how bold you ought to be, but I suggest this is how we gently lead them toward the only one who can satisfy their soul, how we, how we point them toward Jesus. This is the gospel of grace. And more than that, we don't just give them Jesus as someone to, fall, uh, to, to worship. We give them Jesus, Jesus as an example to follow. We tell them, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. This is the gospel of grace, that Jesus descended from the, the riches, the richest of riches, to the depths of poverty, to be with us, to rescue us. And he did this so that we could all enjoy true riches, the riches of God's love that are poured into our heart and that satisfy forever. We can speak the truth about Jesus and love by saying to our friend, look at the example of Jesus. He showed us that material things just don't satisfy. We do this because growing people into maturity means we don't just tell others what to do. We give them Jesus. 
And the last example is from when I was a youth pastor. And one thing I loved about it is kids wear their emotions on their sleeves. Man, you know exactly how they're feeling. And uh, it's easy to get to the root of the problem. But one night I was talking to this young woman and she was sharing with me just how she hates the way she looks. Her hair isn't right. Her body shape, her height. She just dislikes everything about herself. But yet she's such a beautiful young woman. But I, I believe this is a common problem for people to feel because our world tells us that our value depends not only on our performance, but also on the way that we look. So when I heard this, my first reaction was just to reassure her how beautiful she was and pray that this time she'll believe it. And maybe that's what she was looking for. But I realized that this would only be superficial help. It probably wouldn't last for a very long time. I realized I could tell her this until I was blue in the face, that you're so beautiful, what are you talking about? That would probably be more love than truth. But I later realized that this is a gospel issue. I needed to remind her of the gospel. I don't think a lecture would have helped this young woman. You could have shouted until I was red in, I could have shouted until I was red in the face. Just stop saying that to yourself. It's a lie. Repent. But that would probably be more truth than love. What she needed was a reminder of the truth about Jesus. So how does the gospel speak to someone in this situation? While the gospel declares that our worth is not dependent on how we look, the gospel says that God loved us, that Jesus came for us, he pursued us, and he's calling us into his embrace. The way we look isn't what attracted him to us. The gospel tells us that he loves us just because he loves us. The standard of our value isn't dependent on how tall we are, how short we are, our body build, or as Amanda mentioned the other night, she's like, sometimes guys aren't that attractive to begin with. And as you get to know them, they become better looking. <laughs> Sorry to throw you under the bus on that one. <laughs> but measuring our value according to the fickle standards of this world is brutal. And it will cause the greatest pain. Because you know what? Ultimately, we live in this swipe right culture. And if you live by the emotional roller coaster of swiping right on the shallow basis of your looks, there's no greater insecurity than that. But there's a way to get off the roller coaster. The gospel says that Jesus chose you. He moved into the neighborhood to, to be among us, to live among us, and ultimately die for our sins. And here's the most powerful and wonderful and important person who ever lived. And he gave it all so that we could be set free, that we could be rescued, and that we can enter his internal embrace. Right now, he's restoring and renewing everything. He's preparing the place for us to be with him forever. And he looks forward to the day when we actually meet him and become like him in an instant. This is the gospel. This is the beauty of Jesus. So let's preach the gospel to one another. Let's build each other up into maturity. Let's continue to practice this. And may we experience the power of speaking the truth about Jesus in love. But I want to end with this one caution. Is that as I'm challenging you to speak the gospel, 
Let's remember that it starts with this posture of receiving and listening well. Our, our church name comes from this, the Gospel of John chapter 4 with the woman at the well. And there Jesus' posture is he, he sits at the well and there's this safe place. And he receives this woman. He listens to this woman. And then he uses that to discern what questions to ask so that he can speak the truths about himself into this woman's life. I pray that this is the kind of faith community we can cultivate here, that we become a safe place to just love people and welcome people and accept people and listen to their stories and look for ways to speak the truths of the gospel to them. I pray that as a community, when we do have the opportunity to speak, that we speak words of love, speak words of life, and that we speak gospel truths. Because we all need to do the work of speaking the truth of the gospel, of speaking the truth about Jesus. And may God give us the courage to do this every single day.